I tell you something? I had nightmares from this movie. <laughs> like last night? <laughs> no, the, after I watched it, I I took uh, a lot of um, of a half CBD, half THC tincture. <laughs> and, and I like just a lot. I just kept dropping it in my mouth. So and wait, then, Ricky, did you have too much tincture after you watched Problem Child? <laughs> I think before, during, and after. I had oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I watched the movie... And I had nightmares. I swear to God, I had nightmares that I was begging my parents not to send me back to the orphanage. <laughs> I swear to God, I woke up like kind of sad. I woke up like really sad. Oh my God. I love how deeply this movie got into your fucking subconscious. <laughs> It touched Ricky. You were touched. You've been touched by this film. I just sort of, I just remember in the dream, like I was an adult man in the dream, but I was asking my dad to like, please not send me back. God. Oh my God. Oh, dad. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have his annoying voice though. Oh my God. Oh, Ricky, fucking... Please don't send me back. <laughs> Tonally, tonally, I think that Problem Child, both visually and Uh and tonally, feels very similar to Serial Mom. I see where I I see where you are going, and I have you seen Serial Mom. Yes, of course I've seen Serial Mom. What kind of a question is that to ask to a person? Yeah, I've, seen, I've seen it a bunch, okay? You agree with me. <laughs> no. No, I don't agree with you at all. What are you talking about? You're out of your fucking mind. Problem child? He's, a, he's just like Kathleen Turner's character in Serial Mom. He's a monster. <laughs> he puts on a little show, and everything he does is like a middle finger at what a good child does or what a good father would be doing or what a, a good boy would be doing. Right, which is why I think that it's like, it's just like a cartoon movie for 10-year-olds, you know, where like they just run around and they go like, whoop, and then, I don't know, someone gets hit in the knee or something. And like, I I think it's very simplistic. I don't think that it is doing a lot of like, I agree that he's a monster, the fucking guy from this this little kid in this movie is like a terrifying, terrifying monster. I mean, one of his main character traits is that he is like, loves the serial killer and that's like that's the whole thing but that is subversive <laughs> that is subversive for a children's movie he loves a serial killer he sends letters the main protagonist of problem child okay uh welcome to 30 years later <laughs> i'm your host Rick kimlai this is chris chavin we are currently in the middle Hi. you've joined us in the middle of a conversation about the movie problem child which we're talking about because it came out 30 years ago this last week of uh, July, it stars John Ritter. It was directed by Dennis Dugan, who uh, later went on to direct Happy Gilmore and another and a bunch of other Happy Madison movies, which, as we'll talk about later, makes perfect sense that he it was yeah. from Problem Child Obscurity and brought to the Happy Madison land. Uh, and uh, it also stars Amy Yazbek, who, after the second movie, uh, a few years later, went on to become John Ritter's wife in 1999. Um, and then unfortunately he passed away in 2003 and the movie is actually written by, um, 
the writing uh, team of Larry Karaz- Larry Karaszewski and I can't remember the other man's name who I believe has unfortunately passed away. So I feel even worse for not being able to remember his name. Um, yeah, way they, to fuck over this dead guy, Ricky, you piece of they, shit. <laughs> they went on to write The People versus Larry Flint and Man on the Moon and Dolomite is my, <coughs> Dolomite is my name as well as Ed Wood uh, for Tim Burton. Ed Wood was the movie that they did that got made following Problem Child and then Milos Forman did Larry Flint, Man on the Moon. And then they did, I think they did a season of American Crime Story as well. Um, so th- like they have real bona fides coming af- coming off of Problem Child, uh, which uh, nobody expected to be a hit in 1990, but ended up being a huge, a pretty solid hit. Uh, it was um, the second highest grossing of the week, uh, movie of the week that it came out just uh, being beat by Presumed Innocent, which we'll maybe talk a little bit about later. Um, yeah, so Problem Child 1990, let's take a little listen to a little gander at, um, at the trailer. I would like to proudly present the newest member of the Healy family, Junior. He's got the face of an angel. It's the devil. I hope you guys are insured. He's got a special way. With pets. Poor Fuzzball. She'll never be the same. He's got the keys to the car. (laughs) My new car! Maybe all the child needs is to be loved. We've adopted Satan. John Waters has to like this movie. Tell me, tell me more about this, Ricky. I'd love to hear more about this. It is um, a movie that is flat-footed uh, at times and is constantly flipping off every social more and uh, traditional family value that is being uh, in the 80s leading up to the 90s that are being um, nostalgicized, romanticized, by TV and film and the Reagan administration and Christian uh, organizations and Problem Child to me while existing, yes, specifically in a children's movie. I mean, when you go see a John Waters movie, you already know that you're watching, this guy is subverting whatever the, the genre of the movie is that he's, that he's mm. doing. And he's, a little, he's usually a little further out of the box than I think Problem Child is. Problem Child tries a little too hard to remain in the family movie box. Ricky, I, 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 you're blowing my mind with the things that you're saying about the movie Problem Child. So, Ricky, I mean, I just like to say I feel very at sea right now with this this web that you've woven of this reality where Problem Child is like like a good, actually good. <laughs> like, it was very persuasive. I mean, if I had not just watched the movie Problem Child, I would probably be like, damn, I got to check that movie out. But well, like having I'm... just watched it, I have to say that it the argument, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. You know, it was not good. It's a it's a total piece of shit. It's it's almost unwatchable at times. But the yes, argument, yes, the yes, argument, I agree. The argument isn't that it's good. The argument is that it is similar to the John Waters aesthetic of the 1990s. Which go back and watch Serial Mom. I like what makes Serial Mom good is that John Waters is behind it. And, right. You know, and like there's a bit more intelligence, but it really is just like a woman thumbing her nose and flipping off everything 
that we would consider taboo uh, in 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 that in that moment. I mean, everybody's breaking taboos in that movie more so than in Problem Child, but it's a very similar tone in its in in its setup. Like this is a family movie. This is a white family, and then underneath it. <clears throat> There is terror and subversive um, sadism lurking underneath all of it. Yeah, okay. I mean, sure, yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, the way that John Ritter's wife, uh, whose name I forget. The actress is Amy Yasbeck. From Wings. From Wings, right. Yeah, I mean, I knew she looked familiar. From Wings. From Wings. Wings. I feel like they're if you are like exactly our age, people think about wings a lot. You know, like somehow that made it into people's minds that like I mean I still think of it every every single time I see Tony Shalhoub, I think about wings. Like oh, can you believe every time I see Ned? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Thomas Hayden Church. Thomas Hayden Church. I just imagine Tony Shalhoub like doing that crazy voice and character for like the show was on for like ten years, you know? Um, I don't know. It's so weird because in a way, it's like kind of like like is this okay? <laughs> like, the, but in another way, it's just a character, you know. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like Andy it's Kaufman like, on Taxi, I guess, right? I was just gonna say that it was like Andy Kaufman's character on Taxi, which he, I mean, hated doing, right? I mean, he hated it. So did Tony Shalhoub hate it or did he love it? You know, I mean, I think he probably liked the check. <laughs> All right, I love that it was the beginning of his career, not the end. I mean, that's amazing. You know, that's so rare. I think in well, a thing he was like also that. In Barton Fink. I mean, that's true, and he's great. He's great in Barton Fink. Well, yeah. I mean, speaking of this, I was going to say like Kramer, which is you know Michael Richards has a big part in this movie. Is this the best thing Michael Richards has been in aside from Seinfeld? He's good. He plays the serial killer, uh, the bow tie killer, well, and he, I thought he's pretty good. He's in Weird Al's UHF. Oh, that's true. The the interesting thing about that is that Christopher Lloyd turned down the part for UHF and Michael Richards got it. And then Christopher Lloyd turned down the part for Problem Child and then Michael Richards got it. So like in the 80s up until the 1990 was just like a stand-in for Christopher Lloyd, which is such a disservice and an insult to Michael Richards' talent because I feel like in retrospect, Michael Richards is... I think his talent, not his racism, but his talent far surpasses Christopher Lloyd's. I mean, I wouldn't, I couldn't really tell you because he hasn't been able to do anything since 1997 or so. So I don't really know. I mean, what are you even basing that on? UHF and Seinfeld? And the Bowtie Killer. <laughs> of problem. But yeah, I mean, to get back to what you're wait, saying about on, this movie. Hold on, I mean, hold on. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. You give me, and you you people can't see Chris, but he's giving me the look of like you. Why are you interrupting me again? Do you think? And I think now is the time to talk about it. Do you think that Michael Richards should be allowed a comeback? Oh my god, <laughs> Ricky, you're such a fucking piece of shit to even make me weigh in on something like this. Does he deserve a comeback? I think right now, in this exact moment, is does Michael Richards deserve, deserve a comeback? I have to say no. I have to say no. Um, I think that, I don't know. I think what he did was like terrible. I mean, it's terrible, you know, like, and it showed some kind of. Why does Mel Gibson? I don't think Mel Gibson should get to come back. I don't understand why. And I think that his comeback, quote unquote, is exclusively among like Fox 
news dads. Like those are the only people that care about the things that he's doing now. Mel Gibson. I mean, no, he was in yeah. Dad Home too, with Will Ferrell and Marky okay, Mark. All right, all right, fine. That's probably uh, yeah. the highest profile thing he has done since. Yeah, that's true. No one really gives a shit about dragged across concrete except me. No, no, exactly. Just old weird dads. Michael Richards. Well, I mean, I know what you're going to say about it, like his, you know, like his. Um, it was just like an outburst, you know, and it shouldn't like that. end his career forever. I mean, what, I what's your argument? That. What's your argument? Oh, I didn't have an argument. I don't think he should be able to come back. <laughs> piece of shit what a piece of shit you are no you know what the thing is i <clears throat> i don't know if he should be able to come back i don't make those rules i would like to see him get to do something funny because i think he is really funny the only thing about that though is that the type of humor that he was so good at and that he kind of mastered with seinfeld you have like a short window where you can do that in your life because it's all physical it's all right. like intense physical comedy that requires no self-consciousness and like that kind of goes away especially i think in the wake of a very public scandal where you shouted <laughs> racist violent racist epithets at audience members like i mean that probably goes away so if you were to cast him in something i don't think he in any way could even capture that 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 magic again no no i don't think so at all and like plus uh, it you know it depends on you being a certain like you have to read a certain way to the audience. Like you have to just like seem like a regular dude. You know, I think that that really helps that kind of stuff. Well, you know, I mean, obviously he's a weirdo, but you know, not like an old guy or a sad old guy. It's like a little distracting and I don't think it really works as well. Um, plus he had a horrible racist outburst and horrible, like, horrible. like you just think like, I mean, I've lost my temper with people and that is not what I have said. So yeah, like, I've never, you know, I load them. No, like, no, it just, you know, it just wouldn't occur to me. So you have to wonder about the kind of person it would occur to, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. He plays the bow tie killer in this movie. He is the serial killer that our young protagonist, anti-hero, I would call him an anti-hero, that uh, is obsessed with. Our anti-hero is a young orphan who narrates the movie. A, honestly... One of the worst child actors I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, oh my so god, he's amazing! He's so bad. He's the so movie bad. like centers around. Him. <laughs> often, often when they cut to him, he seems to barely be able to stop giggling for longer. And you know that he was giggling for so long that this was the best take. Like, you know, like yeah. Why wouldn't they fire him? Get a new kid? I mean, they must have just sort of built it around his look. They're like redhead, yeah. evil redhead kid. Uh, he'll be great, but he and is, he did look great on all the posters. I mean, you gotta say he looked great. You know, he is genuinely terrible and scre <laughs> almost screaming every line. So, okay, this is the movie that I watched, Ricky, <laughs> a terrible child actor yeah. who is basically screaming every single line is the central character of this movie yeah. and where he's also narrating it. And he's constantly making like winking jokes to the audience where he's going like, these people don't know me very well, do they? It's oh, like he's, the worst. The worst. he's some kind of like eight year old Bugs Bunny, like Dennis the Menace, but for the 90s. And, you know, there is a lot of stuff in it that is like not kids movie stuff. Like there's this whole there's like a scene at a fertility clinic with John Ritter and his wife where which is actually like kind of a funny scene. But 
as somebody who watched this movie a lot when I was like eight years old, I was like, why, why is this in the movie? Why is this in this movie? Like what kid wanted to see jokes about fallopian tubes? Oh, with the doctor, when the doctor yeah. pulls the, the thing. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, why is this in the children's movie? Why he's, is this in the movie? Like, oh, that's your uterus. And then he drops it on the desk. And he's like, sorry, actually, this isn't your uterus because uh, you don't, uh, you, you know, you can't make babies. So, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, it's actually pretty funny. The guy who who is, plays the doctor it does a pretty good job. I mean, you've seen that's like the kind of thing they do in Thirty Rock, right? It's like Doctor Spichemin, you know, yeah. like it's exactly the same kind of scene. And I was like, oh, I love this, but like I have seen that. I literally probably have seen Problem Child at least a dozen times. It used to be yeah. one of my favorite movies, and yeah. I have no memory of this at all. I don't remember this being in the movie at all. Um, I don't either. All I really remembered was Michael Richards is the bow tie killer. Yeah. And, um, and the birthday party sequence. Um, oh yeah. Wait, <laughs> what remind me what happens at the birthday party, Ricky? He, he, the, the girl, I mean, just to backtrack really fast. Cause I feel like we did too much plot with arachnophobia. So I'll try to do less plot or at least like breeze through it. Contextually. He's a, he's an unwanted orphan. He's terrorizing the nuns at the orphanage terrorizing them to the point where you're basically on the nun's side uh he's doing awful things to them that are like look he like, hangs, like he hurt. hangs one like he ties her up and hangs her out the window like and then and while this is happening they're basically playing like bad to the bone like the guitar licks and the kid is like oh, look out below a really good impression of the kid because it's like He's not like, look out below. He's like, look out below. Here comes none. Like, it's so over the top. He's that was good. That is what he's like. That is exactly he's what he's like. Yelling in every scene where they're like, <laughs> they're like, this is your new house, and he's like, my sister Mary. <laughs> so uh, eventually, a very desperate couple, played by a horrifically emasculated John Ritter. <laughs> And a horrifically uh, shallow, uh, sadistic woman played by yeah. Amy Yazbek um, uh, decide to adopt a junior because they can adopt someone really fast and she could get on the PTA really quickly. And he's just desperate to have a son. He's, he, yeah, he wants a kid and he's selling it to her that it will be like, it's like all the other ladies in the neighborhood will think you're cool. You yeah. can go shopping. And she's like, sick, that sounds awesome. And he's like, and I can take him camping. I just want to do father-son stuff because I'm so broken. Um, <laughs> really and their adoption agent, by the way, is Gilbert Gottfried in, in a, another great performance in this movie. Like, he's great. I really liked him. He's great. And there's a scene where our problem child does an impression of him while of Gilbert Gottfried while Gottfried is talking to a nun. Uh, that is so weird. They just do a close... Like, Gilbert Gottfried's talking off camera and they do a close-up of the kid, and he's just shrugging his shoulders and, like, <laughs> trying to do an impression, but he's not really doing any impression. He's just sort of, like, doing things that clearly a director told him to do, like, shrug <laughs> your shoulders, squint your face, and it's not even, like, a good... Like, why is he doing this? <laughs> why would you choose to put this in the movie? Um See, I, 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 I felt the other way. I felt because it was so, it didn't really accomplish anything in the movie. Like, I think the kid must have been doing it on his own all the time. And so they just put it in once, you know? Like, I agree that it is not a good impression, but I think it is the impression that, like, a 10-year-old would do and think it's hilarious. Um, 
he gets adopted by uh, the, the couple. They bring him to their home. And one of the first things that happens is that he's introduced to uh, a neighborhood child, this little girl who happens to be having a birthday party. And she's like a stuck up little girl. And her she doesn't want to invite him, but her mother makes her invite him. In, and he goes to the birthday party. <clears throat> I think he's already started to commit some atrocities. As the, Just some like light atrocities. Yeah, but the birthday party, I don't remember if the birthday party is before camping or if camping is after the birthday party. Um, no, I, I also don't remember. No, I don't remember. But either way, at the birthday party, she won't let him watch her magic show because she doesn't like him. So he decides to ruin everything and he puts firecrackers in her cake. He throws all of her presents in the water. He uh, does a bunch of terrible things. Uh, and he's like a little, a, a little devil. That was the only part of the movie that I remember. But at this point in the movie, he's been adopted. He's with John Ritter and Amy Asbeck and he's just doing terrible things. John Ritter takes him camping. When he goes camping, he somehow lures a bear to the campground using a massive piece of steak. Uh, and uh, the bear attacks John Ritter and some other people. So in one of his last instances of terrorizing, he uh, goes to, he's, he's brought to a little league game that John Ritter coaches. He yes. gets a minor hit and he runs around the bases, smashing all of the other little kids up with a bat while running to home plate. It is truly awful. And so what's this is so this is a great sequence in the movie. It's one of the only things I really remembered from this last time watching it, because like the movie has done this actually for this movie that I really hate. It did a, does a really good job of um, you. It's almost like you're on the kid's side. Like he is does kind of seem like the victim a lot of times. Like people are mistreating him. Like he only breaks the birthday party because the girls are so mean to him. And it's like there's you see him being really sad and then he like gets even with them. Right. Um, and so then it's kind of escalating this kind of stuff where he's obviously doing worse and worse things, but he's also being treated worse and worse. Yeah, but he um, always, even in ways that are in no way commensurate. Oh, like, like wildly disproportionate, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> someone's, yeah. like, someone's like, hey, you stupid redhead, I heard you're adopted. And he's like, oh, I'm going to hire a serial killer to fucking cut you in half and bring <laughs> you up along like the freeway underpass like it's Juarez. <laughs> he's a nightmare. Does he? I this is a side note, but I, it, there was a time where I was worried he was going to kill a dog, but I forgot if he does kill the dog or not. Or is it a cat? Like, like, like? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's a cat, but I don't think he ends up killing it. But it seems the movie makes it seem like very possible he's going to murder yeah, this cat. I was very worried. Well, because early in the, in the opening, in the early montage of the beginning of the movie, when we're seeing how much of a problem child he is, there's an incident I think where he kills a cat basically or no you know what it is he feeds a cat dishwashing detergent and then the oh cat right and everywhere because it you think maybe like, he's that, that would die you think maybe that it's like literally poison and then he's like hmm it's soap and you're like oh okay and then that the cat is like burping a bubble yeah and but it would then still when, kill him yeah right but then when he gets to the house for the first time he walks in and they're like a cat and he goes oh a cat and he like runs after the cat yeah, it made me deeply uncomfortable. Um, oh, he throws I, it at Ben's face. <laughs> that was great. Who falls down the stairs. And if you watch that scene, I watched it a couple times. Big For context, Big Ben is John Ritter's father, who also just emasculates John Ritter. Terribly emasculating him, right? Yeah. And hates the problem child. 
when he first meets the problem child, the problem child senses Junior senses that there's some something wrong with that Big Ben doesn't like him. So he takes the cat and he throws it at Big Ben's face. Big Ben's an old man, and he, the Big Ben falls down the stairs. And if you watch the shot of him falling down the stairs, the stunt guy really hits his head on the railing like super <laughs> fucking hard. Like it's it's like like a genuinely horrifying. Back with his head numerous times. Oh going my down. god. Yeah, somehow I'm not really surprised they weren't running a safe set on Problem Child. It seems like a pretty fucking loose production. Like yeah, you got these shots crazy. of this kid giggling, you the fucking stuntman cracking his head open. Like and it was only I guess it was like a ten million dollar budget. Which I it was kind of a lot for back then, right? For that period of time, yeah. 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 Studio movie. Yeah, and it made like seventy two, which is also crazy. It was apparently a much darker script. Um that wasn't like a children's supposed to be a children's movie, but the studio forced it into being a children's movie. I mean, and, I guess I can. So was, was it still supposed to be about a child or I mean, yeah, a problem child or is it like problem person? I would actually love to get my hands on like the original script for that movie and see what like at this point after he's committed all of these atrocities. Wait, 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 wait. I wasn't finished with my thought about the fucking yeah. baseball atrocity. Sorry. Um, so they're at, you almost are on his side, and then he's at this little league game, and it's a big deal, and everybody's like, "Big Ben is talking shit about that little kid," and but the dad be- actually believes in him, and that's like the one sweet part of the movie. And uh, Junior does in fact get a hit; he gets a hit, and everyone goes, "Ah!" And they're so excited, and that's when he runs around the bases and it hits everyone. <laughs> and they the movie plays it like it's the only thing that happens in the movie where they play it genuinely like it's horrifying. Like everything that happens in the movie is horrifying in real life, but this is the only one where the movie is like you see everyone and they just look like, oh my god, <laughs> what? Oh no, oh no! It makes and there's like no music. It makes it seem like he's murdering these children with a baseball bat. Yeah, I was gonna say it plays it horrifying, but not as horrifying as it actually would be <laughs> if a child were doing that. Like it mostly cuts away, and you hear the sounds of the bat hitting people, and you see like you know, reaction shots, which are always my favorite. You know, it's like an actor. Like, Ooh, ah, ee. <laughs> and you're just seeing like a single baseball cap fly up in the air, yeah. you know, and <laughs> hearing like thwack. You know? um, but then he slides in the home and jams the bat in another, in a, in another eight year old's balls, <laughs> like just right in the dick. Cool. And the kid falls over. And they, so cool. And the problem child jumps up and down screaming, touchdown, touchdown. I mean, Ricky, I tell you, in a situation like that, there's something like a good child would do, and there's something like a problem child would do, man. That's about as problem child as you can get. I have to say, this movie, as I said at the beginning, was directed by Dennis Dugan, who directed Happy Gilmore and a number of Adam Sandler movies. Do you think that they saw Problem Child and were like, that is the aesthetic? that we are going for because it is, I mean, outside of just the ones that he directed, I feel like problem child could very easily fit into the happy Madison. Yeah, no, I definitely, I agree. Like, I think that it is, it is in a lot of ways, like so similar to an Adam Sandler movie. Cause it's like, there's a central 
like chaos agent who's the main character who's like kind of awful but you're kind of on their side and they're basically like a cartoon character and acting in these insane ways but it does somehow seem grounded in the real world somehow and it's like yeah you just replace this fucking terrible child actor with Adam Sandler like if Adam Sandler was the star of Problem Child it would be a great movie (laughs) like that would yeah it'd be Billy Madison (laughs) yeah I mean I guess so right yeah exactly (laughs) Although that was directed by Tamara Davis. Um, yeah, so then uh, they're about to, they're basically about to give him up, back to give him back to the adoption agency when Gilbert Gottfried lets slips that they're the 30th family to take him or that 30 other families have taken him and given him back. And that cues John Ritter's sympathy, uh, sympathy heart. And he decides that he doesn't want to take him back. Amy Asbeck is fully against it. And when they come outside to try to tell him that they're not taking him back, Junior steals the car. <laughs> yes. Yes, he steals their car. Um, and it's not like like in a movie when like a dog accidentally like makes the car go and then it goes down the highway, but they don't know what's going on. Like he intentionally steals the car like to make them mad. Yeah. Yeah. He's a real piece of shit. It's a real piece of shit. I mean, like, but, he I mean, is definitely, like, a terrifying character who, right, idolizes a serial killer, is cruel to animals. Like, I mean, I, I in a certain way, I found watching this movie hard because it's like, this fucking kid is like a serial killer. He's like a school shooter. Yes. But it, he's, but I, I'm, I, I don't want to watch a movie where this guy is the hero, you know? Like, but that's the thing. That's where it becomes like this very weird, dark comedy, kind of like World's Greatest Dad. Right, like the yeah. you know the Bobcat Goldthwait film with Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like the main character sucks, and you would hate him if not for the fact that everybody around him was somehow worse. Like even John Ritter is kind of worse than the kid because he bases his self worth on being a part of all these institutions that are constantly emasculating him. And putting him down and making him feel terrible. The 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 business that his father runs, his fatherhood itself, where his father is mean to him, and and um, uh, manly manly activities like camping and baseball and all these other things that he takes part in, where he is also put down by the the sort of upper echelon people in these in, in these activities, the people that are higher on the hierarchy than he is. But that's how he bases his entire self worth, and his wife does the same thing and has even less of a heart than him. So in a way, that's why you end up liking Junior because he says, fuck you to all of these things. And he's this agent of chaos and he doesn't care if anybody likes him. And he's also a child. Right. So he can like get away with doing this kind of stuff. But like, can he? I I would certainly say today you cannot get away with doing any of these things. Like this kid would be in jail immediately. Like he would not have made it out of the nunnery, which is also like a weird I mean, this is another thing like where I feel like this movie is um, like where I said it was a cartoon. I mean, it's it is. It's like Dennis the Menace or it's like a bunch of like actual children's shows from the 80s and 90s where, yeah, it like starts in an orphanage with like nuns and like thunderclaps and like goes through a lot. I don't know. You know, it's just very like it exists in this kind of like cartoon universe, you know. So as much as I like, I agree with you about like John Ritter's em- emasculated by institutions. Like it's also just like. 
I don't know how much thought has been put into the parts of this movie like that, you know? Well, I will say, I, I agree with you. They're all, like, just cliches. They're all just cliches, you know? Right. Like, but he's got a wife that hates him, and his dad is, like, a real jerk, you know? Yeah. But those cliches exist so that our main character can be somewhat of a protagonist, right? Because if yeah, those sure. cliches didn't exist around him, the kid wouldn't be sympathetic at all. Right. Right, and right. I don't know if he is, but I mean, he 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 when he meets this serial killer for the first time, played by Michael Richards, and they get in the car, and they take off after Michael Richards has strangely bedded John Ritter's wife simply by telling her he hasn't been with a woman in like fifteen years, and that just drives her crazy. I don't totally don't understand her motivation there. I think the implication with this is like a, again, a cliche from back then. I think the implication was like, they were so, you know, ready to do it. They would do it real good. You know, (laughs) I haven't done it in 30 years. So I got a lot of doing it to get out of me and I'm going to do it all on you. It is such a cliche of movies and maybe it's not, maybe people have had this in reality. I just never have like, most often prior to any kind of sex, there is like a bit of communication and exchange of like, it's like what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah. You say I haven't been with a woman in 30 years and she shivers and goes 30 years. And then you have sex. That's, that's the communication that happens every time before I have sex. Like, and then the, Do you notice that the punchline of that scene? And this is very strange is that it seems as if, when he goes after her that he is going to, I mean, maybe you, it doesn't feel this way because it's like a PG PG 13 movie that he's going to assault her. Right. right. He's, he's going to like attack her or murder he's, her. I don't know. You know, right. He's stalking her in the kitchen and then he grabs her and kisses her and says, I haven't been with a woman in 15 years. And she's, and you kind of think she's going to pull away. And then as you said, she goes 15 years or 30 or whatever. And then she kisses him back and then she tackles him and puts him on the ground and, and like underneath, you don't really see it, but Michael Richards ends up holding on to the kitchen island for like dear life because he's ravaging him. That is also such a fucking cliche of like 80s and 90s comedy, which is like, wouldn't it be so funny if the woman was like, hornier than the man whoa what like can you ricky can you even imagine a world where a lady wanted to do it as much as a guy but also of course this woman is horny her husband is john ritter (laughs) and that's no offense to john ritter like fine handsome man you know he's a tv star but his character in this movie is the most unattractive sad pathetic piece of shit for a man like even yeah. when he gets it together and becomes a man at the end you're still like Ugh, you yeah i dope i really identified with his character and i was really glad to see some representation of myself on screen um just because he's just like a basically a real sweetie you know <laughs> like he's surrounded by a bunch of real jerks but he never stops being a real sweetie and believing in a better tomorrow and he's also just kind of you know seems nice <laughs> so <laughs> i thought he was great and i always really loved his character um seemed and... like a fucking loser to me <laughs> He believes in, you know, he always sees the best in everybody. Like, even he keeps coming back to Junior, no matter what crazy shenanigans he got into. And he's like, Junior, you just you just can't act like that, buddy. <laughs> you know? 
which I thought was great. Um, he kind of, for some reason, reminded me of like Matthew Reese in this movie. I kept thinking, like, it was kind of like a Matthew Reeseian performance. <laughs> Normally, at this point in the podcast, we like to show what Siskel and Ebert thought of the movie, and uh, unfortunately, there isn't a clip online, nor is there a um, is there a posted review of Roger Ebert, so we can't do that. I'm going to assume that like. They both hated the movie, though. I'm I'm going to assume they chose not to review it on purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is pretty awesome because they would really shit on movies. So I love that they like refused to even give it any attention. <laughs> um, you don't in any way see this movie as like somewhat subversive and kind of daring. I mean, like, I want to say yes, you know, just because just I mean, you the audience can't see it, but like the puppy dog eyes that Ricky is giving me, he's just and he's got like big fat tears like a, do you know, when there used to be the, those things on um, like a convenient a gas stations counter where you could like donate to animal relief and it was a big plastic dog crying big plastic tears. That's kind of what Ricky is doing right now. <laughs> no, I mean, you sound very smart, like, you know. Sure. I don't know. Are there some elements of it that are subversive? Sure. You know, are there? Okay, sure. I mean, <laughs> you know? it, is a, it is a kid's movie where the kid's hero is a serial killer. I think this is just like, this is just like saying, look, it's a movie about a dog, but the dog is bad. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, but like there's Dennis the Menace bad. It's Beethoven right? with a kid, you know, like. No, but there's like Dennis the Menace bad where it's like, you know. He put um, pudding in, in, in the neighbor's stew or something like that, you know? <laughs> the neighbor thinks it's food. I don't know. Ricky, uh, that's the best fucking example of some innocent mischief I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> but, he put some pudding in the stew. Right? This kid is... Are you saying he was like running through the house with a pickle in his mouth? Like that kind of stuff? <laughs> this kid is best friends with a serial killer. Right. And the joke, which we didn't say is that the serial killer wants to come find him. He breaks out of jail to come find him because from the letters, he has assumed it is an adult named Jr. Who's even crazier than me. Yeah. And then he's really mad when he finds out it's a kid. He's like, mom, junior. (laughs) That's me. Jr. Junior. (laughs) And these are charitable impressions, like, <laughs> honestly. No, I mean, I think it's a freaking Looney Tunes cartoon. I mean, I was going to, you know, like, talking about the most 90s part of the movie, like, I, I think that it's it's a living cartoon in a way that, like, presages a lot of films coming in the early 90s for kids, which I think this is one of the real early examples of. Like, I feel like in the 80s, there was always a kind of, like, it was like a bunch of adults trying to figure out what a kid's movie should be. Whereas this very much seems like it's just for kids. It's for, it's for kids. It's for kids. It's a kid yelling like the nuns are bad and vegetables are gross. And like, you know, like it's just, it's, I, I don't know. He strings a nun up and hangs her out the window. Chris, like I get it's just good, clean fun to me, Ricky. I don't know what <laughs> I get. Yes. Now it is. But in 1990, Right? You're coming off of traditional family values of the 80s. You're coming off of like fucking Christianity and wholesomeness and nostalgia for 50s Americana. And this right, movie right, right. kind of 
is is poking fun at those things. And at the very least, the kid is a chaos agent in the face of all of these things that are considered um, uh, sacred at this moment, at this moment in time coming out of the 80s. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm coming from a perspective where I grew up seeing so many of the movies that came after this movie. I mean, the like a rich intellectual tradition of Problem Child, where there's just so many movies where it's like, you know, this thing messes everything up. You know, I mean, there's so many of those. And I know you're saying like the particular examples in this movie are like so extreme that like it's it counts as being subversive. But like, again, Beethoven um do i don't know if, what do we have if not for the particulars <laughs> it's true it's true i mean you're right you're right you're right you're right yeah i, I don't know dude and i mean i i will say like i think you agreed like when i was a little kid something about it connected with me like in a really strong way and i just loved seeing it i loved it i couldn't get enough of watching this movie i rented it like a hundred times um, and I, and then, and then it completely went out of my memory until we started talking about it like a week ago, you know, like, and I was like, oh yeah, this is like a very important movie to me. <laughs> like it was weird. It was weird. I don't know. I don't know. It was like a drug. It was like, I was in some kind of a fog, you know? Well, this is also what like every Disney family show is like now. Right. Right. Where it's not necessarily a bad kid, but like the kids are always right. And the adults are really stupid. Yes, yes, exactly. Right. And yeah, and I think like you're saying that so many 90s movies are are like that 90s kids movies. Yeah. Um, and I I just, there's so much of this stuff, you know, at all levels of quality and budgets and like, you know, from but, the Sandlot to like, I, you know. Yes, but. A kid I, in but, King Arthur's court, you know, like. Yes, but, yes, but can I please? Can I please? <laughs> can I finish? <laughs> can I finish? Oh no! Oh no! Breaking out, breaking out the old RP, everybody. Oh no! Um. Yes, but the Sandlot uh, has a nostalgic uh, sense for for baseball and and the 1950s and the early 60s, right? This period of innocence, this fucking pre JFK assassination <laughs> innocence children's movie or not. That's not even really, you know, that is a movie that is like, while it's a children's movie is also kind of written for like stupid adult men. Like, <laughs> like I remember playing stickball and the, you know, the crazy neighbor had a dog too. We would never go get that ball. And like you stupid fuck. Shut up. Um, I will say like as a child that movie absolutely did not connect with me I didn't give a shit about that movie I was like I don't fucking care about stickball and the old fucking dusty like what the fuck I don't get I don't like any of this shit (laughs) I gotta be like I'm I'm gonna get back to my point in a second but I will say almost one of my biggest pet peeves as an adult is when people like have like do like quote the Sandlot or these like children's movies and have like a fun time together doing it and it's like you guys, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's fucking children's movies. Shut the fuck up. Like, I don't know. It's just a speak. bunch of garbage they made to just, you know, shut you up for an hour. I don't know. You yeah, know. I don't sit around here and, like, quote children's movies with you. And I feel the same way when people pick apart, like, Star Wars around me. It's like, shut the fuck up. These are children's movies. <laughs> like, I don't know who the fuck. Like, these aren't you did. I will say, I don't think it's going to end up in the show, but Ricky literally said this to me about Star Wars, like, not that long, like, tonight. It's like, yeah, it's a kid's movie. Who gives a shit? <laughs> well, it's like, I understand. Like, you talk about Star Trek, right? And I actually understand that because that show wasn't actually made for children. 
that was initially made for an adult audience, as was Next Generation. It's and the Wagon movie, Train and the Stars. Yeah, exactly. Right. The movies, the movies, I think, straddled the line between, like, you know, family entertainment and adult entertainment. But nonetheless, they weren't made specifically based off of, like, a simplistic understanding of the hero myth thrown right. in yeah. face to be, and then all of a sudden it becomes, like, a fucking huge trilogy ordeal that everyone has to pour over the details of just because they had a fucking action figurine when they were like eight years old. Like you don't see me getting into conversations with people about Ghostbusters because I had the proton pack when I was a little kid. You see me doing it in YouTube comments about the all-female movie, which ruined my childhood. Right, I mean, it ruined my childhood, too, obviously. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> Why would you do that? No, I don't know. Everybody's in, I mean, everybody's infantilized, and it's it's everybody's development is arrested. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. But uh, I mean, I had a child, so I'm doing my best to fight. Again. I'm, I'm, I'm an adult now, Ricky. I had a child, so I'm an adult now. Um, but what I'm saying is that a movie like The Sandlot still existed within the nostalgia and the romanticization right. yes. of these sort of boomer ideal, these greatest generation and boomer ideals, right? Um, I think the term, those two terms connote, you know, war or something or the economy. But I, I mean, specifically, like their pop culture ideals and the way that they viewed that the traditional family should be. Whereas Problem Child, he is constantly destroying those things. I mean, except in the end, of course, in the end, he ends up with Ben and he's he's got like his own little nuclear family, him and his father. It's a really a movie about fathers and sons. Um, right. But I mean, most of the movie, it is throwing trash on all of this shit that is usually fairly sacred or at least romanticized in children's movies. I mean, I just feel like a movie where the bad kid is the star and does bad things. I mean, yeah, yeah, okay, it's unusual. All right, it's unusual, you know. Fine, yes! Fine, fine, fine. Dennis yes. the Menace exists. I mean, you Dennis the Menace's rebellion was insufficient for you, so, like, that doesn't count. But, like, that was one of the first TV shows in a certain way was a show about a bad kid, you know? Yeah. But how bad was Dennis the Menace? I mean, this is what we're saying. You're making this argument about how things that seem stupid and you know, like toothless rebellion now in 1990 were a big deal. I mean, wind that back an additional 40 years, you know, like, yeah, putting pudding in the stew is like, yeah, they were going to fucking send you to a penal colony for doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, you're going to get lynched for putting pudding in the stew, you know? Like, Australia for that. <laughs> yeah, you have to get the fuck out of this country right now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so for you, uh, you were kind of saying this, but what was the most 90s aspect of this movie for you? Yeah, I mean, I would say it was that. It was the way that it's like about, uh, it presaged a lot of children's movies about these kind of living cartoons, these people and these outside, and then also children's movies for children in a very pure, like, you know, market tested, like focus groups kind of way where it's just like, just the scenes the kids love kind of movie. And I think that there wasn't as much of that in, in the 80s. So at least not in film, in TV, sure, but... I think for me, it's, um, I mean, you kind of said this before about Adam Sandler as this agent of chaos, but I don't think Sandler was the only one making comedies like that. And like this sure, feels like Farley and Spade. Yeah. I like, yeah, this feels like sort of the first, I don't know if it is the first, but in the line of these movies where like the main character isn't like an accidental agent of chaos, he is 
almost sociopathic and destroying things. You know, yeah, like right. if you think about what's sweet about planes, trains, and automobiles is that like John Candy is lovable in that movie and his mistakes are uh, relatable. Whereas Tommy Boy, and I know people like Tommy Boy, but again, it's kind of a kid's movie. Get over it. Um, <laughs> uh, what people, what Tommy Boy, Chris Farley is just a disaster and is kind of a horrible human being up until like the last minute where he's like, I saved my dad's plant, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the, you know, they're or what you might call situational comedies where these characters get into these kooky situations and all kinds of crazy things happen. <laughs> Eat shit. <laughs> yeah. It's this thing called, the genre is comedy. And, um, <laughs> yeah, people laugh, Ricky. So yeah, um, like there's this yeah. great movie from the 30s about these three guys who like one of them is pretending to be a famous explorer, but he goes to this fancy party with all these proper ladies, and then this other guy comes in and all he's doing is honking a horn and throwing pies in ladies' faces, and all the fancy ladies are like, "What are you doing?" And then there's this Italian guy is there for some reason, and he's kind of like trying to swindle everybody, I guess. Yeah, bringing that up makes me want to strike this whole podcast and because <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly nothing existed in my brain prior to this movie being made. <laughs> oh my god! And then for some reason they play the harp for like I swear to God ten straight minutes. Like what the fuck? And then there's like three other songs and a romance subplot, and I'm like, what is going on in this movie? Um, it's been 30 years since this movie came out. Uh, this is a pretty good one. What do you <laughs> think this movie has grown out of? Well, gotta say, glorifying a serial killer. Not just the actual serial <laughs> killer in the movie, but the like serial killer to be that is the main character. He is displaying all the classical signs of being some... I mean, he would be a school shooter, this kid. He is the kind of kid that is is going to do murders. And it's, right, it's you know, just wild to see a movie where he's the hero, you know? Freddy's Dead came out, I think maybe the year after this. And there's a sequence in Freddy's Dead. Have you ever seen it? I think so. I kind of don't remember. Is, is that the like? It's like the meta one where it's kind of like Scream. No, that's New Nightmare. That oh, was okay. that came out after Freddy's Dead. Um, Freddy's Dead is like. Uh, Freddy's Dead is the sixth movie. The last thirty minutes of it were were 3D in the movie theater. Yafet Koto is in it. Um, <laughs> Rachel Talalay directed it. Michael DeLuca wrote it. But anyway. In it, uh, there's a f- when when they go into Freddy's head, which is like the 3D moment of the movie where they put on the actual 3D glasses to alert the audience to put on 3D glasses. <laughs> um, they go in, they go back to Freddy as a childhood, and there's a scene of Freddy uh, in his uh, elementary school classroom, and he takes a hamster out of the hamster cage and just starts smashing it with a hammer. <laughs> Oh my god! And all the students stand around him, screaming "Several hundred thousand maniacs!" Set, which I don't really know what that means. Something along those lines. But nonetheless, I was reminded of that scene <laughs> multiple times in Problem Child, which is just like a slight tonal difference. Which is just like change the music, and you have a different movie. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I I could see the argument for this being a horror movie, like especially along the lines of like Freddy's Dead, like a kind of yeah. like. 
meta like end of the 80s horror movie you know like yeah if 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 the if junior was literally murdering people i think it would be a better movie for sure it also would be not far from what we watched if they opened up the basement and there were just like dead other children in there dead <laughs> and junior was like what do you want from me i'm adopted <laughs> There, that was originally in the movie, and it really informed everyone's performance, but they ended up cutting it out. <laughs> um, I would say, uh, I don't know if this movie has grown out of it, but we haven't really talked about it yet, which is that in the final state, in the final act of the movie, the person who really gets the worst comeuppance is Amy Yazbek, yes. which I found very strange because you have a serial killer who just goes back to prison. That's where he was. There's nothing. Yeah. But she gets put in a suitcase, thrown into a trunk. Thrown off of a bridge. <laughs> like Violently thrown around in the suitcase, where it's like she would have broken bones. She would be bruised. She'd be really beat up. And, yeah. then, and then, like you said, she gets thrown off of a bridge into a truck full of pigs and pig shit. <laughs> and then the last shot of the movie... <laughs> final shot of the movie is it's three shots her a close-up of her opening the suitcase to see where she is her point of view which is a giant pig testicular pouch pig balls that backs into her face shits and that's it and that's the end of the movie that's the the movie like it's just it's a it's a strong you know, there are things that we talked about with ghosts where it's like things that are just unexamined, right? <laughs> uh-huh. About this period of time. And like stuff is stuff like that where it's like, oh yeah, you know, like he goes to jail, this is this, but this bitch, we're gonna put her with the fucking pigs and they're gonna shit in her fucking face. It's like okay. All she wants to do is shop. She wants to just fuck this serial killer. She's a real piece of garbage. Yeah, so for the like, last shot of the movie, okay, a pig is going to shit into her face. Literally. Yeah, it's like, I know that her character wasn't a good person, but why does the movie hate her the most? Well, I was thinking about this, actually, Ricky. Like, I don't think there is a positive female character in this movie. I think this movie has a real problem with women, like, from top to bottom, and that every single woman is a nasty bitch. Like, like because it's just... What other, it, what other women in the movie are there? In the, the nuns, all the nuns. <laughs> oh, and the little girl that doesn't want... Yeah. Yeah, she's a nasty little bitch, that six-year-old. So it's a literal, literally every female character in the movie is just nasty and mean and yeah. vindictive to the point where you're like, you're like, yeah, I guess broads, right? <laughs> broads. <laughs> yeah, the movie does. Um, I guess the movie doesn't like women, but like that's it. But again, it's like it goes into that unexamined place where it's like it's it's not that it doesn't like women. It's just that it has a, some sort of natural unexamined innate urge to, um, I don't know, punish them. I mean, that that's what I mean. That's what I mean. When I say it doesn't like women, that is literally, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. It, it subconsciously wants to punish a bunch of women and showcase how terrible they are. <laughs> this movie wants to say like, dress up like a FedEx delivery guy and show off how bad these women are. Chris! Hey. I'm just saying he was also a misogynist. I'm saying this movie is as misogynist as that guy. 
It really is, but there's isn't there kind of a now I can't say anything because you brought that. Yeah, just just uh, reset. Removing, Give me... removing that. It isn't there isn't there kind of an innocence to its misogyny though, where it feels like it doesn't even know its own its own its own its own hatred, its own like interest in punishing women. Like it's it, it feels like in some ways it's like it would be shocking to punish a nun. It would be shocking to like punish this 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 woman this way or you know like, i don't know it seems like when you want when you have positive things to say about the the id of this movie that you know that's fine to examine them but like you know i don't really want to make excuses for the like extreme misogyny of this movie where like as you said the final shot of the movie is like a woman getting shit on by a pig as like a fun <laughs> gag you know like and that's pretty typical of the way women are treated in the movie but this is what I mean. I mean, here's what I mean by its night, by its innocence. You saw that you rented this movie all the time when you were a little kid. Yeah. So your parents watched it with you. I mean, I would hope, you know. My parents watched it with me and they saw no problem with that. I mean, it goes back to Ghost. When the conversation that we had about Ghost, which is that like things, I think semiotics and symbolism just did not exist in the mainstream as the, in the way that they do now. Yeah, I mean... There was no context for anybody outside of the frame of that movie in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. The frame of the movie in the moment was like, this mean mom is getting pooped on, LOL, right? Rather than right. like, this is a strange message, you know? And like, this is a... It's in, I don't think people connected the dots or cared to nearly as much. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what you mean by people. You know, like, certainly like, there were plenty of people aware of this kind of thing at in the 1990, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, there, but I mean, was it as much of an issue in the general population? I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't even like 10 year, years ago or five years ago. So yeah, certainly not as much of an issue, but you know, also you and I are biased because we're, we were growing up in these like, you know, suburban places with, People who, you know, were maybe not. I mean, my parents had a subscription to Newsweek, of course, so they were very cultured. But, you know, maybe they weren't as, like, you know, keyed in. I'm sure if we had lived different lives, we would have different opinions on these things, you know. Or maybe they noticed it and what, someone was like, your mom was like, should we let him watch this? And your dad was like, shut up! He can watch whatever he wants. <laughs> that is definitely the something my dad would say. And... <laughs> You know, my dad is like a real sweetie. He's always just a nice guy. He sees the best in everybody. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, what was your, did you have a favorite part of the movie, Ricky? Well, my dad is a um, retired prize fighter. So he's got a lot of anger issues and uh, there's lots of holes in the wall around the house. Sure. Uh, yeah. Because he just, um, he can't see that well. And he still thinks that he's fighting. And so often he's just, he's just swinging. And you got to know how to, you, I learned how to duck very early on as a kid. I'm a, I'm, I'm not a good fighter. I'm good at ducking though. So thanks for that, dad. Uh, you know, Ricky, that's like, I feel like I really connected with you right now. Cause like <laughs> in a certain way, in a certain way, brother, it's like, you've been ducking all this time. You've been ducking your whole life, man. <laughs> Ricky. Hey, Hey Ricky. I wonder what would happen if you just stood there and took one of them hits on the chin, huh? <laughs> bet you bet you could take it easier than you thought i don't know i don't i can't do it i took too many i learned how to duck and that's all there is to it now
Or maybe Ricky, it's time you to stop. Know. It's time to stop you ducking. Know. It's time to you start know. swinging back. You don't know those punches hurt. A man can spend his whole life ducking, but it's what he does when he stands up that counts. I have to ask. Uh, uh, bad to the bone. Yes. It's use in Terminator 2 versus it's use in Problem Child. <laughs> which which is more iconic? Which do you like more? I mean, I, in all honesty, in Problem Child. I like it more in Problem <laughs> Child. Because what's great about it in Problem Child is it's like textually what's happening in the song is happening in the movie also, more or less. Yeah, on the day I was born. <laughs> and he's like a little baby. And the, you know. <laughs> they, they, wrote it, they wrote the scenes to the song. They all, they all could tell that he's right away that he was bad to the bone. That is literally what's happening in the movie. They use bad to the bone and born to be wild. And... You know, by the time we were of age to know what those songs were, they seemed iconic already. Yes. And like they had kind of existed forever. But in actuality, Born to be Wild was only like 20 years earlier. And it was a, it was like a symbol of the counterculture because it was from Easy Rider. Right, um, right. And Bad to the Bone was, yeah, it was like this kind of silly uh, song. But what was it? I, I wonder what it was like. Like, it must have been a riot, like, amazingly funny and weird and crazy to see those songs in a children's movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Because they were, it was completely out of context for them at the time. Yes. Is, like, is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Like, later you have movies. Yes, you have all those children's movies in the 90s. All would, of them do exactly that, right? Exactly yeah. That. But I think that's like the first time where you have a children's movie that's playing these sort of like, you know, quote, badass classic rock songs. It's because you understand the kid is like a problem child. So <laughs> he, you could say from a certain point of view that he was born to be wild. Like that's just him, you know? <laughs> hey, look out, grandma. Oh no, they're gonna give me away again. Take a big bite. But you but you promised you wouldn't give me away. Oh but he's like giggling while he's saying it. <laughs> they're gonna send me back to the orphanage. Oh, I don't wanna eat that food. So I think that's it. I think that's problem child. Thirty years later, uh I think in its own uh, demented way, it is kind of a masterpiece because it is a precursor to a lot of uh, 90s comedy, both in children's movies and in um, the sort of PG-13 uh, realm. And uh, I also think it's a subversion of uh, uh, taboos uh, in, that, in that moment. I think you disagree with me a little bit. <laughs> I do. I disagree with you. I think it's a very shrill living cartoon movie where it's like uh, Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd, you know, like get this, Ricky. 
Normally, Yosemite Sam smokes a cigar, but Bugs Bunny gives him a stick of dynamite. Can you imagine what would happen if you did that? Like, your whole head would explode. That would be terrible. You go to jail. This is the kind of behavior that Bugs Bunny is engaging in, though. Every week, up on the silver screen, for our kids. Like, yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, it was fine. Uh, You know, how did I feel about watching it? I felt it was very hard to watch. I thought there were parts of it that were... I thought there were parts of it that were genuinely funny. I thought the kid was a terrible actor. Terrible. I want to live in the universe that you are in where like all of the things that you're saying about this movie like i i why why you're making me want to watch it again and i did not enjoy watching it the last time i mean i to be honest with you i didn't particularly enjoy it either but (laughs) that doesn't mean that within it there weren't elements that were bold I mean, I just, I just had a flash just then where I was at your like film studies class in a state college somewhere. And it was like, <laughs> all right, kids. It was good. It was good. Today we're watching Problem Child. <laughs> <laughs> what you think you know about Problem Child, you don't know. I mean, I think you could do this, Ricky. I think you could make this happen. Um. You know, the writers, like I said, they meant it to be a dark comedy. The studio tried to make it a children's movie. But, like, that doesn't mean that they threw away everything that the, the, the writers wrote. Right. Right? So, like, clearly there's all of these scenes that don't belong in a children's movie. And that's what I think is fascinating uh, about it while you're watching it. Like, a children's movie, Dennis the Menace, a children's movie doesn't have the main protagonist smashing other kids with a bat. <laughs> befriending a serial killer you know yeah 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 it doesn't have those throwing a nun out of a window and hanging her right that's like it's not those things aren't in those movies but yes it is wrapped up in what is an extremely annoying poorly made flat visually uninspired just hateful to look at yeah oh truly truly hateful to look at which in its own way is kind of an art like it's in, in its own i mean way. that is the most john watersy part of the movie yeah yeah um garbage movie but within it because there's these elements that were from a script before it feels something about it feels subversive and yeah, original sure yeah no i agree i agree yeah great fine <laughs> and that is the end that's you wrapping it up yeah okay shut the fuck up Ricky. Yeah, shut the fuck up all right yeah great good okay fine good 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 <laughs> Okay.